0: And if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. If you're wondering where the Gospel of Luke is, it's in your New Testament, second half of your Bible, and we're looking at chapter 4 today, and uh, we are getting into uh, a message that I'm so excited to share with you. This is part of a series we're doing here at Thrive that's called A Luke at Jesus. Everyone say, A Luke A Luke at Jesus. And this series is all about taking a look at Jesus through the gospel of Luke. Don't just let the cheesy, slightly cheesy series name fool you. The fact is there are some tremendous, serious, substantial lessons we can learn from the book of Luke about who Jesus is and how he can change our lives. If you believe that, say amen. Do I have a proactive church in this place this morning? Yeah? By proactive church, I mean you're not afraid to shout to God. We'll just shout to God for a minute right now. Oh, that's not bad. That's maybe a 3 out of 10. All right, okay. That's okay. That's good. Okay. Uh, by, by proactive church, I mean you're not afraid to take notes in service. That's how we learn. By proactive church, I mean you're not afraid to say amen. Everyone say amen. amen. And that you'll even say amen even before the pastor asks you to say amen. Because when you say amen, you're taking ownership of what you're hearing. You're resonating with what you're hearing. You're opening up your heart when you do that. And so I encourage you to say amen, to respond. To your neighbor and say, it's okay to respond. It's okay to respond. By being proactive, I encourage you to sit near the front as well. This is part of being expectant. Even if it's one row closer than what you usually sit in, uh, I encourage you to do that. It's about being proactive. Tell the neighbor, we're proactive. Praise God. We are a proactive church, and we don't want to waste our time in church, and so that's why we do what we do. Well, we are doing a series here called A Luke at Jesus, and before I share with you the passage that we're going to be looking at today, uh, let me tell you a really quick story, really quick story. Uh, many, many years ago, before Pastor Charlene and I were married, uh, you know, Pastor Charlene, she was, she was living and working in New York City. She was at an investment bank doing a very high-powered job there, working very late hours. She would go from 9 a.m., which is pretty normal, to about 2 a.m. Uh, almost every day. Almost every day. And so when I go to visit her in New York, uh, as much as I wanted to spend time with her, the fact is that she was in the office most of the time and so I had to do a lot of sightseeing by myself. Uh, so I went to the Statue of Liberty, and I'd be, you know, taking a selfie with the Statue of Liberty. You know, I'd go to the Brooklyn Bridge and look really lonely by myself on the Brooklyn Bridge. There was one time when uh, I was uh, in a subway station deep in the heart of downtown Manhattan, in a subway station, and I was late for an appointment. I was going to go to Radio City Music Hall, which is a big landmark in New York City. There an, I had an appointment there. I was really excited for it. But I was late, and I was a little bit panicking because not only was I late, I was also really hungry. Have you ever, like, had, you know, just, like, a, all of a sudden, just, like, super hunger spell and so I had that and, and so what I did I ran into uh, one of the stores in the subway station I, I grabbed a sandwich I paid for the sandwich it was one of those sandwiches that was kind of wrapped in kind of cellophane this plastic bag and so as I'm trying to walk slash run to this appointment I'm ripping open this plastic bag the, 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 the sandwich pops out and I can see it in slow motion separate into two pieces and I could see meat first landing on the dirty, dusty New York subway station floor, and I'm thinking to myself, "Okay, I, I'm late. I can either forego the sandwich and just run, I can go and get another sandwich. But you know what I did? Instead, I picked up the sandwich, meat first, all of it, and I ate it. And I went over, and I, and I did that. And that's probably the reason why I am as weird as I am today. Maybe. But here's the thing: Why do I mention that today? Why do I mention a story about me being super hungry and some crazy things happening? It's because today we're looking at a passage in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is super hungry, and some pretty crazy things happen. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13 together. Would you read with me in a big, loud voice? 1, 2, 3, what does it say? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell the stone, to become bread. Jesus answered, "It is written, man does not live on bread alone." The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, "I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours." Jesus answered, "It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only." The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. "If you are the son of God, he Said, throw yourself down from here for it is written he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone jesus answered it says do not put the lord your god to the test when the devil had finished all this tempting he left him until an opportune time see if you have been doing the game challenge with us which just started today you know that this is the passage for today Luke chapter 4, 1 to 13. So you've probably read this already. You've probably studied it already. Maybe we'll do that a little little later on today. We're encouraging everyone who's doing the game challenge to do so. And you might not even need me to preach on this today. You're already full based on just your own time with God. But I'm going to share with you a few things. Before I do that, though, those of you who know we're doing the game challenge, we've taught you what might be a new way to read and study the Bible together, a very simple way. We call it SOAP. Everyone say SOAP. And it's where we ask you to take a look at the passage. You find one verse that really sticks out to you. That's S for Scripture. O is for observation. You just write down what you think is going on in that verse. A stands for application. How are you going to apply that verse into my life? Is there a command to follow? Is there an example uh, to, to 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 follow? Is there a prayer to pray? Uh, you know, is there a sin to confess? Uh, is there an attitude I need to change? Uh, and and we do all that. And finally, P stands for prayer, where you write down a prayer for yourself. And so, in case you're still kind of wondering how to do that, we have a. Few samples that we wanted to show you that you can go later on to mythrive.info to find, but I'll just show you one. This is from uh, one person who is doing the game challenge with us. Uh, he's actually my six year old son. His name is Bradley, and, and this is his. This is here's right here, and this is just to show you how easy this can be. He says for scripture, he writes down verse 8, and he says, Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Very good. Awesome. And observation, what he says, here, he says Jesus was trying his best to fight against the devil with scripture. And then A is for application. How are you going to apply this to your life, Bradley? He says, whenever the devil wants to hurt me, God wants me to fight back, underline, exclamation mark. And then P for prayer, he says, dear Jesus, thank you for fighting back when you died on the cross to save my life in jesus name i pray amen okay praise god and i show that to you not just because i'm proud of my son but to show you how easy this is amen is that if a six-year-old can do this you can do this as well and so turn your and say, you can do this you can do this, and so encourage us to sign up for the game challenge. It's going to help you so much. The message here I'm here to share with you today, based on the past we've read, is called Don't Fall for That. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, don't fall for that? See, today we're talking about temptation. What is temptation? How do you overcome temptation? And what do you do if you happen to fall into temptation? I know we're in Luke chapter 4, but I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 4 right now. Would you read with me the big loud voice, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 to 16? Could you read it with me right now? What does it say? It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's go back to verse 15. What does it say? It says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. See, the book of Hebrews says this. It says that Jesus Christ, when he lived on this earth, was tempted in every way, just as we are. Every way that you've ever been tempted, Jesus has been tempted too. And so as a result, because Jesus went through what we went through, Jesus can identify With our struggle, Jesus can sympathize with our weakness. Jesus can relate to our brokenness. And Jesus can represent us adequately, properly, completely, perfectly before God the Father as our perfect mediator and high priest. That's what Jesus can do because he was tempted in every way. But here's a question if Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin, let me ask you this question Have you ever been tempted to turn stone into bread? That's the first temptation, right? Have you ever been tempted to turn stone? say? Have you ever ran in a park and you, you stop and, and, you, and you looked at a rock and you, oh, I'm so hungry right now. Oh, man, if only I could just turn that rock into a baguette or into a bagel or into like a mammon or a pupusa or a, or a polo pao or, or like a manto or whatever it is. I just, oh, if I could turn that into, have you ever had that? I, I, I've never had that. Have you? It, it, I, I don't know if, about you, but it seems like some of these temptations that you read about in Luke chapter 4, I'm not sure if that's it's that easy to relate to. It, it could be that is it that, that Jesus has been tempted in every way just as we have been tempted, but is it that probably that we have not been tempted in every way that Jesus has been tempted? Well, I'm, I'm going to submit to you this morning that the three temptations that Jesus faced in the desert in Luke chapter four represent three temptations, or three questions, or three struggles that you and I will all face in our lifetime. And how you deal with those struggles, how you answer those three questions, how you, you know, face those three temptations we're talking about today is going to determine in many ways how much peace you have in life, how much joy you have today, how much hope you have for tomorrow, how much you know, peace you have in your family, how much happiness and health is in your relationships. And so if you care about how you're going to live in 2019, if you care about the quality of your life and the quality of relationships in 2019, then listen to this message. This one is for you. See, before I talk to you today about the three specific temptations that Jesus went through and how they relate to us, let me just say a couple quick things about Satan and temptation. See, Luke chapter 4 depicts this confrontation between Jesus... Jesus, the son of God, and Satan, the enemy of God. The last time there was such a direct confrontation, it was at the very beginning. It's in Genesis chapter three. Right at the very beginning of the Bible, you can read about how Satan confronts Adam and Eve. And on that particular day, that battle was won by who? It was won by Satan. And and see, Jesus is now in Luke chapter four, Many, many years later, he's now entering into his own confrontation with Satan. And Jesus is also known as the last Adam. He, on behalf of Adam and Eve, on behalf of you and me, he faces temptation. He faces Satan to redeem the loss that was suffered by Adam and Eve. And, and, and so that's what he's doing. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, you are going to find this, is that the Bible acknowledges the reality of Satan. The existence of Satan. He's he's sometimes called the devil. He's sometimes called the accuser. He's sometimes called the deceiver. He's sometimes called the thief. He's sometimes called the father of lies. The Bible acknowledges, of course, the existence of God. It also acknowledges the existence of Satan. And the Bible says that both Satan and God have an agenda for your life. And they're very different agendas. In fact, Jesus puts it this way. Look at John chapter 10, verse 10. Read it with me, the big loud voice. What does he say? He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, God's agenda for your life is that you would have life to the full. You would you know life in all of its fullness. That's his heart for you. He doesn't want to kill you. He wants to give you life. But Satan, his agenda is just the opposite. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy as much of your life as he can. Now, you might be thinking, well, JB, what does Satan have against me? What did I ever do to him? I didn't do anything to him. See, here's the thing, is that long before you were even in the picture, God and Satan were at odds. And God, you know, he and and Satan, they had a conflict and a conflict that continues to this day all the way until the very end. And one of the best ways you can hurt your enemy is to take away what your enemy treasures the most. And since the Bible says that what God treasures the most is people, Satan makes it his goal to take away as many people as he can from God. Now, Satan's preferred way of taking people away, his, his preferred way of stealing, killing and destroying your life is to do so without you even noticing it. In other words, if Satan can get you to somehow believe that God doesn't exist, Satan doesn't exist, it's all just a figment of our imagination. It's a construct of our primitive fears. You know, it's just you know, just our ancient superstitious thinking that there could be a God or there could be Satan. Then guess what? Satan does not have to do much more work with you. Right? He's pretty much got you. You've already been trapped. But see, like a thief, Satan prefers to operate quietly, covertly. But see, Satan sometimes will make his presence felt. And the way he makes his presence felt is not always through scaring you or haunting you or, you know, causing you to be afraid. But see, sometimes the way that Satan makes his presence felt is through temptation. It's through attracting you, enticing you, intriguing you with something that you find attractive. See, what is temptation? I want you to write down this very simple definition of temptation as you take your notes this morning. Temptation is the urge to do something that you know is wrong. Is an urge to sin. When I'm tempted, what's going on is deep down I have this attraction with enticement, this desire in me, this urge in me to do something that I know that deep down is wrong. Now, is temptation on its own sin? Is it? No, it's not. It's not. Jesus himself was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. So sin and temptation are not the same thing. Temptation itself is not a sin, but saying yes to temptation is sin falling into temptation is sin giving into temptation that is sin god is not the one who tempts but rather temptation has two sources one is our own evil desires where even as christians we still battle those things we still need to work on those things that's part of our sanctification process of becoming more like jesus but the other source is satan himself why don't you write this down temptation is death disguised as something attractive Temptation is death disguised as something attractive. Let me ask, a, maybe ask a Raul. Raul, could you just come up right now? Can we give Raul a big hand? Ra- Ra- Raul doesn't have no, has no idea what we're gonna do right now, but uh, let me ask you this. Is, um, Raul, have you ever gone fishing before? Never been, have, Has anyone been gone fishing before? Not big commercial fishing, but more like elementary school fishing pond fishing. Have you done that before? Okay, where you know you, you go to a fishing pond. You got a cute little rod with a little hook and, and maybe some 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 other stuff that you have. See here 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 it is. Say say Raul is doing some fishing fishing pond fishing. And he's got he's got his he's got his hook. And see when you go, fi- I know you you say you've never gone fishing, but I, I can guarantee that you probably know this: is that when you go fishing, do you just put the hook in the water? and you just go, oh, come on, fish, let me attack you, let me catch you, yeah, yeah, now come here. No, all the fish are going to fly away, not fly away, they're going to swim away. They're going to swim away. But see, and so what do you do? What you do is you put on a little bait. Okay, can you, can you, put, can you put this on, or maybe not so little, but yeah, you put on a little bait. And, and, and see, what is that? Is that what you're doing is you're disguising death with something attractive. You're like, here, fishy, 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 yummy worm. Here, fishy, fishy, this weird wasabi-looking thing that you, I think you're going to like. Here, fishy, fishy, and the fish will come you go, hmm, hmm. Oh, oh, oh. And, and see, what what's going on is that it's death disguised as something attractive. Now, in the same way, Satan tempts you in this way. He doesn't go, come here now, let me kill you. Come here now, let me destroy your marriage. Come here, and I'm going to ruin your life. Come here, I'm going I'm to steal your joy. Come here, I'm going to make you an addict. Come here, I'm going to make you a slave. Come here, I'm going to break your heart. Come on, come here." Does he always do that? No, he doesn't. Instead, what does he do? He covers up his agenda. With something attractive, he maybe you know you're 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 someone here in this place, and and you 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 get you know you you get acquainted with someone that you find very attractive, but you know you're not supposed to be with that person. Or maybe it's one of those things where you are uh, a bit of a worrier or a control freak, and all of a sudden you have this idea of solving your problem in a way where you're like, you know what? I know that's not right, but man, that'll just be so effective. It'll 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 solve the problem so easily if I do that if I say that or or maybe it's one of those things where you know you're you're a guy and you, you all of a sudden have these thoughts of you know but tonight I'm all alone tonight i I've, you know no one else is at home maybe I'll just do uh, maybe I'll just watch that video I always watch you know I'll I'll I'll, I'll look at some porn I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll you know say, see that illicit video and, and, and you know and, and, and just like you know that, that that that's what I'm gonna do or or maybe it's something where it's like you 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 think to yourself you know you you you, you, you have to gossip and, and and Satan puts in front of you this choice more of gossip where oh, it'll be so exhilarating to talk about that right now. It'd be so easy to, t- to chat it up with my friends about that person right now. Or, or maybe something where you have a weakness for a, a substance. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. And just the thought of, you know, your favorite drink or that joint that you like to smoke and just, oh, I, 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 I got to get away from that. Oh, 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 no, 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 oh, 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 oh. And see, what is that? Well, That is temptation. And, and see, what is that? Is that Satan doesn't come at you and say, Let me kill you, let me steal you, let me destroy you. What does he do? He says, He goes, Come here, human, 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 human. You'll know, imagine all the fun you're going to have. Imagine all the excitement you're going to have. Imagine all the thrill you're going to enjoy. Imagine all the peace you're going to enjoy. Imagine all the release and relief you'll have if you just come here. And see, what is it? It is death disguised as something attractive. Let's give Raul a big hand in this place right now. You can keep that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. That's great. Just give that back to me later. Thank you so much. See, that is how Satan tempts us. He doesn't come at you like a monster that wants to hunt you down. He comes as one who wants to entice you to do something that's very attractive to you that ultimately leads to death. Does that make sense? And see, with that in mind, let's talk about how Satan deals with Jesus. See, let's look, look at the first temptation. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. Read, read with me a big loud voice. What does it say? It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the, desert, by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. At the end of them, he was hungry. See, Jesus, he's been baptized in the Jordan River. At his baptism, God speaks to him and says, You are my son, whom I love with you, I'm well pleased. And so soon after that, Jesus is led by the Spirit to the desert, where he's going to spend 40 days alone in the desert, fasting and praying as he prepares for his public ministry. And you're going to find that that's very often how God works. Is that when God is preparing a person for something public, God will often privately prepare that person before he promotes that person. Let me put it another way. Is that very often, God prepares a person in private before he promotes that person in public. That's a lot of peace, but that's on purpose. Is that prepper operation in private often precedes promotion in public amen And See, maybe Jesus is preparing you right now. Maybe God is preparing you right now, but he's doing so privately so that one day when you're ready, when you've gone through the training you need to go, that's your time to go public. See, Jesus, he's going through this preparation process, fasting and praying for 40 days, and 40 days in the desert, this recalls Moses fasting 40 days. This recalls, you know, Elijah fasting 40 days. 40 days in the desert, this recalls 40 years that the the Israelites during Moses' time would spend 40 years wandering in the desert, grumbling and stumbling, to complaining, being tempted in the desert, and ultimately falling into temptation, and many of them dying before they reach the promised land. But here we have Jesus, who represents the new Israel. And he would spend 40 days struggling in the desert, being tempted in the desert, but he wouldn't stumble, he wouldn't bend. And rather, he would return to Galilee very soon, and be in the power of the Spirit, ready to start his public ministry. But in the meantime, he's preparing. In the meantime, he's struggling. In the meantime, he's fasting. And notice this, is that during this time of fasting, Jesus is hungry, he's isolated, and he's tired. H-I-T. He's hungry, he's isolated, he's tired. Jesus is hit. And you're going to find this, is that very often when you're hit, that's when Satan is most inclined to tempt you. Or that's when you're most vulnerable to temptation. When you are hangry, and you're just hungry, and you're, just ti- and you're tired, and you're isolated, that's when you're most vulnerable to, you know, possibly doing things that you wouldn't otherwise do. When you're hungry, that's the most, maybe the time when you are most irritable, and you lose your temper more quickly. When you're isolated, that's the time when you think, man, oh, no one's watching, no one's looking, I can do this right now. When you're tired, that's the opportunity that you find when it's just hardest to be patient with people. You know, temptation often comes when we are hit, and that's when it comes for Satan and Jesus' well look at verse 3 to 4 what does it say it says the devil said to him if you are the son of god tell the stone to become bread jesus answered it is written man does not live on bread alone let me ask you this question satan tells jesus to turn stone to bread what's so wrong about bread What's so wrong about that right now? See, there's nothing wrong with eating bread. In fact, some of the most fa- famous, important things that Jesus would do later on involved bread. He would feed 5,000 with bread. He'd feed 4,000 with bread. He would break bread and say, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But see, there's, it's not because there's anything wrong with eating or anything wrong with bread. But see, what's the thing, what's the, what's the problem here is that this was a special season in Jesus' life when Jesus is preparing for his public ministry. He's committed to fasting, praying, drawing near to God and sometimes you need to do that sometimes you know not all the time but sometimes you need to forego the physical in order to pursue God you need to forego some food maybe to pursue God that's why we fast as a church and that's what Jesus is doing this is Jesus time to pursue the spiritual at the expense of the physical and so when Satan goes to Jesus and says hey Jesus I know you're hungry man how could God treat his son this way you know Man, you'd think that you're the son of God. He'd treat you a little better than this. You just all alone, hungry, tired in the desert. Oh, man, are you really the son of God? If you're the son of God, just turn these stones to the bread right now. Why don't you do that? And see, what's the question, the temptation for Jesus in that? The question, the temptation, is, the struggle he's asking himself is, in this important time of my life, in this season of my life, what's going to drive me? Am I going to be driven by my physical appetites alone? Or am I going to be driven by a greater purpose for my life? The need and the hunger to hear from God, to draw close to him, to live for him. And see, what, what's that first temptation about? You can write this down. The first temptation of turning stone into bread is the question of your drive. Everyone say, my drive. Everyone say, my drive. It's your drive. It's what drives you. In response to this first temptation, what does Jesus say? Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3, and he says this. He says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. In other words, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, just as God's word, the scriptures say, I'm not going to be driven simply by my physical appetites. There is a greater purpose to my life than that. In the same way, i got to tell you this, is that in your life, there will come a point in time, maybe on a number of occasions, when you need to ask yourself, what is going to drive me? What's going to drive you in 2019? See, all of us are driven by something. You know, some of us were driven by love for money. That's what energizes us. That's what, that's what we're living for. Some of us are driven by a, a, a need for power or a love for sex or a love for food or a love for drink, love for, for face or a love for pleasure, love for comfort. These are all you know, possibly good things, but then we're driven by them to the point where that's what we're living for. And let me tell you this, is that we can be driven by our physical appetites or we can be driven by God's purposes. What is driving you today? See, I find this is when you are driven only by your physical appetites the result is you're not satisfied. Rather, the result is emptiness and frustration. See, you and I, we are not just physical beings with physical appetites. You and I, we are spiritual beings made in the image of God with a longing for God. Another way to put it is this, is that there is a God-sized hole in your heart that only God can fill, and you could try to fill that God-sized hole, that spiritual hole in your heart, with everything physical, food, money, sex, you know, you know drink, pleasure, all these things. You could try to fill that hole with those things, but you will never be satisfied, because for as long as you're just pursuing and being driven by physical appetites, you're always going to feel like something's missing. You're always going to feel like you're frustrated, like you're empty, until the day you allow God to fill the God-sized hole in your life. If you believe us, say amen. Amen. Here's a question for you this morning. Could it be that the reason why you are feeling so frustrated and empty these days, the reason why you're a bit depressed, the reason why you feel so hopeless, is because you have been driven by something physical instead of something spiritual? You've been driven by your physical appetites only rather than being driven by God's purposes driving and energizing your life. You're so focused on the physical things in front of you, your family, your business, your work, food, your drink, whatever it is, money, and you're so focused on these physical things that you've forgotten about who's above you. See, Satan would love it if all you thought about and all you concern yourself with is the physical stuff, the, the, the bread of life, you know, the, the bread of money, the bread of food, the bread of drink, the bread of sex, the bread of material possessions, the bread of my space, my status, you know, the bread of, you know, lots of hits on social media, lots of likes, you know, lots of friends, you know, my business, all that stuff, and, and he would love it if you're just only concerned about that and you ignore your relationship with God. If you do that, you're in his trap already. It's like he, he doesn't have to do much more with you because that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life so that at the end you are empty and frustrated and far away from God. But don't fall for that. See, you were made for more than just bread. You were made for a relationship with God and to be driven by God's purposes for your life. That's where the peace is. That's where the satisfaction is. That's why Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. If you read Matthew's account of it, he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, every day, don't just feed yourself physically. Take time every day to feed yourself spiritually. Every day spend time with God. Spend time in God's word because when you do that, you're going to find yourself having so much more peace in your life. So much more wisdom to face what you're facing. So much more joy even in circumstances that are not ideal. So much more hope about tomorrow. Even when stuff is not certain, you're going to find you're better equipped to notice temptation and overcome temptation when it comes. You'll notice one more thing. Notice that every time Jesus fights temptation in Luke chapter 4, what does he do? He says it is written. God says this. What is he doing? It's because he has learned to make God's word his weapon. He's learned to make God's word something he treasures every day such that when temptation comes, he's ready to fight it with the word of God, which is also called the sword of the spirit. And so if you want to be someone who is victorious over temptation, get into the word of God. Amen. Feed not just your physical appetites, feed your hunger for more of God in your life. When you take the time to feed on God and feed on his word every day, you will be driven by God's purposes for your life. If you're learning something in this place, say amen. Amen. That's the first temptation. Let's go to the second temptation right now. Let's talk about the second temptation. Look at verse 5 to 7. Read it with me, in a big loud voice. What does it say? It says, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all or see what's going on here. The devil leads Jesus to a high place. We don't know exactly where that high place is. And all of a sudden, in an instant, the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. You know, you know. there's the Roman Empire. You know, maybe it's, uh, you know, it's, it's maybe Warren Buffett's stock portfolio. You know, maybe it's, uh, you know, Hollywood and all that comes with that. You know, maybe it's, you know, uh, political power. Maybe it's Bill Gates' empire. Maybe it's, you know, Disneyland. It's all that stuff. It's uh, every empire you can think of. All their power, all their wealth, all their fame, all that stuff is all there in front of him. And Satan says this. See, Satan says, you can have it all, Jesus. All you need to do is worship me. See, Satan knew that God's plan was to place all things under the feet of Jesus. Satan knows that. And he knows that one day Jesus would have that authority. But to get there, to get to that place where all things are under Jesus' feet, and he has all authority in heaven and earth, Jesus would need to go the hard way of the cross. And see, Satan is saying, hey, I, I, I know what you need to do, but here, let me give you a better offer, Jesus. Why don't you do this? All the power that you want, all the authority that you're supposed to have, you want, let me give it to you now. Don't wait. Now. I'll give it to you now. Save yourself all that pain, and trouble that all goes away. All you have to do is just worship me. Just, just, just a little bit. Just worship me a little bit. Just, 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 just maybe bow down a little bit. Just bend your knee a little bit. It's see, what is Satan do? Satan is tempting Jesus to take a shortcut, an immoral shortcut. It's death disguised as something attractive. And see, so the second temptation is what? You can write this down. The second temptation is the question of your integrity. Is will I take an immoral shortcut in my business, in my taxes, in the way I treat someone? Or will I do the right thing? See, have you ever been tempted to take a shortcut before? You know, one that you know deep down is probably the wrong thing to do, but you do it anyways. See, I believe this, is that this coming year, very likely you're going to face a situation where your integrity is going to be tested. Maybe it's in your career, maybe it's in your studies, maybe it's in your relationship with people. And the question that you need to ask yourself is this, will I take what seems like the shortcut that I know is wrong, or will I take the right way, even though it seems like the much harder way to do it? Will I say the truth, or will I tell a lie? Will I confess my sin or will I conceal it? You're going to find this about shortcuts. This is what I find. is That Satan will often try to convince you that the evil that you're tempted to do is really not that evil. Oh, you can bite on it a little bit. You won't get caught. You can, you can bite on that worm a little bit. You don't, won't get caught. Or he'll say you know, that, that evil is worth it to get to that result that you want. It's just a little white lie. It's just a few dollars. It's just one night. No one's going to know. See, when we take an immoral co- shortcut, what happens, write this down, the result is stress and shame. Is that even without anyone else telling you you did something wrong? How dare you? Without anyone else saying that, when, you're, when you take a shortcut and you know it's wrong, deep down, unless your conscience is totally seared, you're going to find that that shortcut leads to pain. That, that shortcut leads to shame and stress and a burden of why did I do that? Oh, I feel so bad about doing that. It's a tough burden to bear. No one else may even know about it, but you feel it on the inside. It's like, oh, I feel so bad. I feel so bad that I did that. And see, Satan, he presents that immoral shortcut as if it's going to be the quickest way to get there when, in fact, it's the long way to get there. It's the detour. It's short-term gain for long-term pain. It's the easy way to go, so it seems, when in fact it's the harder way around. See, that's why Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. What does he say? It says in verse 8, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm not gonna just go for the shortcut. I'm not gonna fall for that. I'm gonna do things the right way. I'm gonna worship God the Father. He is gonna be my God, not my convenience. I'm gonna worship God the Father, not power. I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna worship God the Father, not material goods. I'm gonna worship God the Father, not status. I'm gonna worship God the Father, not what people think about me. And if you make the same choice, you're gonna find that two things will happen in your life. When you do things the right way, as opposed to taking that shortcut that you know is wrong, two things happen that the world cannot give you, that Satan cannot give you. One is that he gives, God gives you peace in your heart and God puts power in your life. Amen. Here's a question for you today. Is there a shortcut that you're tempted to take right now? Even right now, maybe in your business, maybe at home, maybe when it comes to how you're dealing with a situation right now, is there a shortcut that you are tempted right now to go for? Can I tell you this? Don't fall for that. It's not worth it. Do the right thing. When you do it, you're going to experience God's peace and God's power, and you won't regret it. If you believe that, say amen. Is this helpful in this place so far. Amen. Last temptation. Last temptation. Look at verse 9. What does it say? It says, the devil led him to Jerusalem. Are you guys reading with me, Proactive Church? Are you guys ready? Here we go. Number, one is, oh, number, number no, Verse 9, it says, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. See what's going on here. See, is, let me ask you this. Is Jesus having suicidal thoughts here? You know, I, I don't believe so. I, I believe, I believe that later on Jesus would be tempted to take his own life. Because I believe that God, Jesus, was tempted in every way just as we are. But I don't think it's happening right here. See, I believe Jesus, he's not considering suicide here. I believe what Jesus is doing is he's considering a dare. Have you ever had a dare been proposed to you before? Have you ever dared someone to do something? Or, have you been dared? You Oh, I dare you. I dare you to ask for that girl's number. Or, I, I dare you to ask him out. I dare you. I dare you to knock at that person's door and throw an egg at his face. I dare you. And see, what is a dare? A dare is usually this ego-driven, just for kicks, are you man enough, are you woman enough kind of challenge. And see, I believe Satan was presenting a bit of a dare to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you say you're the son of God, right? Prove it. why, Why don't you do this? I dare you, Jesus to throw yourself down from the highest point of the temple, which we're standing on right now. I dare you, Jesus, I dare you. Hey, doesn't, hey, Jesus, doesn't Psalm 91 even say that he will lift you up in his hands so you, don't stri- you won't strike your foot against the stone, that you'll, he'll, he'll guard you in all your ways? What are you waiting for, man? He's gonna guard you in all your ways, won't he? Yeah, yeah, he's gonna, he, you, you're, you're, your, your foot's not gonna hit his stone. I dare you. What, what, you don't believe the scriptures, Jesus, huh? You don't, you don't believe your God, huh? You don't believe the Bible? You don't have faith, what, huh? I, if you're the son of God, prove it. I dare you. I dare you, and see what's going on. By the way, what, what, is Satan's interpretation of Scripture is it correct? It's not. It's not. See, Satan knows Scripture, but whenever he speaks Scripture, he twists it. See, what, what you're going to find this is that is it true that you can throw yourself off a high place and God is going to catch you no matter what? Is is that the point of Psalm 91? See, the point of Psalm 91 is not do you, the, the point of Psalm 91 is not do anything you want regardless of how reckless or stupid or crazy it is and God will protect you so that you're not harmed at all. He's not saying that. The point of Psalm 91 is trust in God and do things his way and you will experience God's protection and blessing. Amen. There's a difference. And see, Jesus, knowing that, counters scripture with scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy six sixteen, and he says this. Look at verse 12. He says, Jesus answered. It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, Jesus is saying, Satan, I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to test God in that silly, foolish way. God didn't give me this life, and God didn't give me this body just so I could throw it away stupidly. God gave me this life for a great purpose, and I'm going to cherish it. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to use it as wisely as I can. Amen. See, what's the third temptation? You write this down. The third temptation is a question of wisdom. Another way to put it is this, with your life, is am I going to cherish what God has given to me and use it wisely for God's glory or am i going to take what God has given to me and just not really care about it. Take it for granted. Use it recklessly. Use it foolishly. Use it in a self-centered way. Kind of just let it waste away. See, you're going to find this. When we act unwisely or recklessly with what God gives us, whether it's our time, it's our money, our talents, our body, what happens? The result is regret and unnecessary trouble. Not just for you but for others as well. And, and, and that's why you want to do something this coming year is say, God, this coming year in 2019, I don't just want to recklessly throw the life you've given me away. I don't want to recklessly throw the time and the talents you've given me away, the opportunities, the dreams you've placed in me. I need to do this wisely because I'm made for a great purpose. If you believe that, say amen. And see, you're going to find that when you choose to say, I'm going to live as wisely as I can with God's help. I'm going to live wisely. I'm going to do what I can to do things for God's glory and not just myself. You're going to find that there is joy in life. You're going to find that there's power in your life that you couldn't manufacture. You're going to find that there is satisfaction in your life. And you're going to find that even if not, other, not, not everyone understands that God is pleased and he will also say to you one day, well done, good, and faithful servant. See, every day of this coming year, every day of this coming year, you're going to find that there are these three questions you have to ask yourself. Number one is, am I going to be driven just by my physical appetites? Or am I going to be driven by God's purposes for my life? That's about your drive. The second question, am I going to take shortcuts that I know are wrong, or am I going to do the things that are right and put God first? That's about your integrity. And the third is, am I going to cherish what God has given to me, the, the, the relationships I have with people, the relationship I have with him? Am I going to cherish it and, and use it wisely and protect it for his glory, or am I going to throw it all away as if it never really mattered? That's about your wisdom. See, your answer to these questions in 2019 are going to determine your peace, your joy, your hope, your happiness, and your health in 2019. And so I urge you to answer them the way that Jesus would answer them. To the question, am I gonna be driven by my physical appetites or by God's purpose? You can say just like Jesus, man does not live on bread alone. I'm gonna live for the purposes of God. They're gonna drive my life. I'm gonna be alive, expectant, involved, out loud, and united. I'm gonna be alive and worship Jesus. I'm gonna be expectant and grow more like him this year. I'm gonna be involved, I'm gonna serve God with what he's given to me. I'm gonna be out loud, I'm gonna lead others to Jesus. I'm gonna be united, I'm gonna love my spiritual family because I'm not just gonna live for these physical things that the devil would want me to just fall for, but instead I'm going to live for the purpose of God because that's where life truly is. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. <laughs> to the second question, am I going to just take a shortcut that I know is wrong or am going to do the right thing and put God first? You can say like Jesus, I'm going to worship God and serve him only. I'm not going to put anything in front of him. I'm going to seek God's kingdom first and know everything else is going to be added to me. It might seem like the harder way to others, but I'm going to do it the way God wants me to do it. And when I do it, he will add everything else that I need. Amen. And then to the third question, am I going to cherish what God has given to me and use it wisely, or i am just going to throw it all away as if it didn't really matter? You can say, just like Jesus, I'm not going to put God to the test. I'm not going to test God with my foolishness, with foolish decisions, with dumb, thoughtless stuff, reckless behavior, but I'm going to live as wisely as I can. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Church, I believe this coming year is going to be an amazing year for you. If you would choose to hang on to wisdom, hang on to integrity, and hang on to God's purposes that drive your life. Let me end today by asking this question. Are you struggling with temptation today? Is there a temptation that you're going through? Jesus went through 40 days of temptation. 40 days of fasting and 40 days of temptation. And he will be tempted even after that. But see, if this is a, t- a season of temptation for you where you're struggling in that area, can I give you a verse or a couple of verses that help me that hopefully help you as well? What does it say in 1 Corinthians 10 12 to 13? Let's read it together. What does it say? It says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. In other words, whenever you are tempted, God provides a way out. It's never a, I couldn't help it. I had no choice. You always have a choice. God always provides a way out. His grace is always sufficient for you. No temptation has seized you except what has come to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. The temptation is there, but God's grace is greater. The temptation is there, but God's power is greater. The temptation is there, but you are not alone. God can do all things through you if you will open up your heart to him. Come on, give God big, big praise in this place right now. Amen. You know, if you are really struggling with sin and with temptation right now, I, I, I want to encourage you also that sometime this week, go and find someone you trust that you can share your struggle with. Because you're going to find that sometimes the power of temptation is in its secrecy, that no one knows about it. But the moment you let, let the cat out of the bag, the moment you just say, hey, this is what I'm going through, can you pray for me? Amazing things can happen. We've seen that happen over and over here at Thrive. And see, today, I want to let you know this, is if you've fallen into temptation... If you were one of those people, and, and maybe that's reason, you guys are a little bit quiet today. You're a little bit quiet. And I want, I, maybe, maybe it's because the, the, the topic today is, uh, you know, uh, one that really uh, hits home uh, in, a, in a special way. But if you've fallen into temptation, what should you do? See, I, I find this, is that before you sin, Satan will try to act almost like your fake friend who is telling you to sin in your own best interest. He'll be like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, just go ahead and do it. It's going to be fine. Yeah, just do it. It's it's just a little lie. It's just a little night. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. But then after you sin, do you know who your biggest accuser is? It's Satan. He that's when he shows his true colors. After he's got you in his clutches and he's like you're such a failure. <laughs> you are so stupid. Oh, uh, you are you know you, you know now that you know nobody loves you, right? You know now that you're beyond hope, right? Yeah, and you see like if you are the son of God, then why would you do something like that? If you are a daughter or a child of God, why would you find yourself in this position? You're beyond hope, man. (laughs) Sorry. Game over. I'm sorry. And see, if you find that that's the kind of thing Satan's telling you these days, don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. Turn your name and say, don't fall for that. Because as long as there's breath in your lungs, there is hope for you. There is hope, and his name is Jesus. Here are a couple things that will enable you to experience that hope we find in Jesus. Number one is this. Confess your sin to God and receive his forgiveness. Just confess it. Tell God what happened. If you hold it in, you're going to find you're going to be haunted by that shame, that frustration, that emptiness, that regret, that trouble, and you're going to have no peace in life. But if you confess your sin to God and say, God... I confess that I did something wrong. God, I confess that I made a mistake. God, I confess that what I did, I regret. And I come before you and I ask you for forgiveness. You know what the Bible says? He says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, forgiveness in the Bible is not cheap. It costs the life of his own son, Jesus. That's why Jesus came for you. Jesus came for every moment when you've given into temptation. Jesus came for every way that you failed, God. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins to show that even God's grace and even God's love for you is unconditional. And it's not based on your performance. It's not based on whether you gave in to the temptation or not. He loves you even so. And if you would come to God and confess your sin, you can receive his forgiveness. You know, Jesus, not only did he die on the cross for our sins, but on the third day to prove that he really is the son of God he rose again to show that neither death nor sin nor temptation have any hold over him. And so when you place your trust in Jesus, you're no longer placing your trust in your own ability to work things out, or your own ability to please God. You're placing your trust in Jesus, who did it all perfectly in ways that we couldn't do, who won the battle that we lost, who gives us back what we, what was stolen from us, and who does it so that we can have life, and life to the full. If you believe that, give Jesus Christ a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. That's how much he he loves you, and finally, finally, if you fall in temptation, not only will you do you want to confess your sins and receive forgiveness, but number two, live to fight another day. Live to fight another day. Would you read verse thirteen with me? It's our final verse for today. It says, verse thirteen. Do we have it? Verse thirteen says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. See, here's the thing: if you've given into temptation. Instead of just beating yourself up and going, oh, I'm such a failure. Oh, I'm so bad. Oh. You know, you want to confess your sin to God. But after that, receive his forgiveness and move on. Get up and move on. Get up, don't give up, because the war is not over. God is not done with you yet, and guess what? Actually, neither is Satan. He's going to keep coming for you down the road at an opportune time. And so when you find yourself in a place where you fall into temptation, receive God's forgiveness, and after that, prepare yourself for the next battle. Prepare yourself. Get into God's word. Get into God's presence. Connect with God's church. Build a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, you'll be ready in the power of the Holy Spirit, armed with God's word, the sword of the Spirit, to say, get away from me, Satan. I'm not going to fall for that. Amen. Amen. And so maybe you're here today, and you find yourself needing to do exactly that is that you need to ask God for forgiveness, for giving temptation a certain way. We're gonna ask you to just hold on just a couple seconds. We're gonna pray with you and for you. Why don't you just, why don't you just why don't you stand up in this place right now? Can we give Jesus Christ a big hand, a big shout in this place this morning? If you receive that word this morning. With every head bowed and every would closed, I just wanna lead you in a time where you can respond to God and receive his grace, his power, his forgiveness, his mercy, his love right now. And so with every head bowed and every would closed, Maybe you're here today, and as we've been talking about temptation and what it is and how to overcome it and how you know how to get out of it. Maybe you're here in this place, and you realize that you've been in a season where you have fallen to temptation, and you can relate to so many of the things that we've been talking about today. You can relate to the shame and regret that you feel. You can relate to this emptiness and frustration with your life right now. You can relate to uh, some of the stuff that we've been talking about today. If that's you, then I'm here to let you that God loves you, and God. He's not here to steal, kill, and destroy your life. That's Satan's agenda. He wants to give you life and life to the full. And so much so that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you so that every mistake, every regret, every failure, every way that we've sinned, it's all paid for at the cross where Jesus died. If that's you and you know you need to receive Jesus' forgiveness today and you want to receive him today, why don't you just lift your hand to God today? Just lift your hand to heaven right now. Lift your hand high to heaven as your expression of your need for God. Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need him and his forgiveness today. And I'm just going to lead you in a prayer today to ask for God's forgiveness, to receive him into your life, and believe that as we pray with an open heart that he's going to find mercy and grace for you. And so let's just pray. just pray this with me right now. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for your amazing love for me, how you died on the cross to pay for my sins, how you rose again to give me life. Today, I confess that I have sinned. I've sinned in so many ways. I've made so many mistakes. But thank you that your love is not based on my performance. It's based on who you are. And so today, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. Please forgive me of my sins and make me a new person today. Thank you that because of your love, I have a new start. I have forgiveness. I'm a child of God. I belong to you. And the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now?